0: Hi, Gary Prejant here. Thanks for joining me on another Strategic Business Advisors podcast. Today I have a very special roundtable interview or conversation with three other ontological coaches, business advisors, executive coaches who I've known for 30 years or better. Mike Papadie I've known for 30 years, Chalmers Brothers and Mark Robertson I've known about 30 years. We all went through education for living uh, seminars that we got our, I guess our basis in the, the art of ontological design and further went on to work with uh, Julio Lala and Raphael Echebea, Newfield group. And I want to dedicate this podcast to all three of those men who were wonderful teachers and mentors for all four of us, if not for them. We wouldn't be here. Mike Chalmers and Mark are probably three of the best ontological business coaches out there on the market today. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Let me know if you have any questions and hope you enjoy. Thanks for watching. I think. Your big question, Mark was, is, uh, is the ontological design disciplines is still relevant. I'll let whoever wants to go.
1: I'll go first. I say, yeah. And I, you all Mark, you remember when you and I first started, man, one of the things, one of the first workshops we ever did together was titled Leadership Conversations and Results. Mm -hmm. And that is still the title of my Vistage flagship program. that same title.
2: Really? And,
1: so, and y'all, there's one of my friends who's with who's Newfield Asia, a Singapore guy. Marcus just wrote this, Start With Who, and it's very much about, it's a play on words for this guy, Simon Sinek, where he talks about start with why, yep.
0: yeah.
1: all that. But anyhow, Marcus's book is very much about identity and internal narratives and declarations, and this came out this past month, he does a great job of Going over the language uh, distinctions and like we all do. But I think, but his, his book is very relevant, just now came out. And I'm still doing right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm still doing the same types of programs with the same types of people that I always have. It's leadership teams and leaders. I do some teams that are not groups of leaders, but almost always it's a leadership oriented event. So my sample size is, is a little bit skewed. But my sample type is a little bit skewed. So, cause it's not the general population. But my experience is that there's no, I, I haven't experienced, and again, I'd be interested to hear what y'all have to say, but I haven't experienced anything having to do with that. The distinctions themselves are somehow not as relevant or not as I, I don't think they're dated. Meaning, I, and maybe I'm just in a fucking rut or I'm doing the same stuff, but my experience
2: is that. I don't know. I mean, let, me, let me put a little context around it. I, I, I'm not sure I use the word relevant, but I was really just wondering about, do they still hold up from that time standpoint? Like things change, technology changes, everything's moving really fast, but it seems like these are timeless. Like it's, they're fundamental to who we are as human beings. And that who we are always comes first before what we do, OAR, right? Right. And what, before what we do and the results we get. It's just interesting. I've noticed myself, I stick 80 to 90% to the core set of distinctions as I learned them in EFL from the guys on this call. And I've, I've added little pieces here and there. I've adapted the way I talk about them. I changed the language some to make sure people connect with it and resonate. So I think they are. I was just curious to get y'all's experience of how they're holding up. I think they're holding up fine. It's still the mental framework I used to put around everything in my life, professional and personal. Those distinctions really help me a lot. Most of the time, sometimes I suffer with them because I have them and I can see shit that I wish I didn't like recently. But, But in large part, it's just interesting that along with Chalmers and, and everybody here to continue. So I learned these in 1991 it was the first time I got exposed. To this is 31 years later. And I introduced them to people, and there's still this, like the basic speech acts. I've found very few people that have ever seen those. And I'm like, why in the hell? Why isn't everybody getting this? This is a set of distinctions and a framework that to me is much more powerful to do life with. And I guess that helps our careers because people haven't seen it before, but it's just, It still fascinates me that it holds true this many years later. And and I didn't even start it. So probably whenever Fernando started, so I'll stop there. What do you think, Mikey?
3: Oh, my head's spinning right now for sure. Last year, November, I got a phone call from a EFL person and his name was Victor Verisco, if you might know him, right? Anyway. He called me. I said, what's going on, Vic? And he says, Mike, I've got this billing company for a hospital and I've got six key, six people I really want to stick with. So I want you to go to Lafayette for me and take us out and, and you just have talk about, you no know, to make, take my class, I called him. I said, okay. And so I got to him at some point and I said, he says, Mike, do you know that you were in my first class? It was 20 years ago. He says, the first thing he said, 20 years ago. And then he hit me who he really was. And I was talking to him on the phone. He says, Yeah, it's about 20 years ago you you taught me the class. I I think I was in your first class, Mike. And so I can say that he was was, uh, one that applied it. I went over there. We had a great group, a little, the six or seven that he wanted done, so to speak. And I'm okay with that. In my Pizzazz building where I have my office, when I get a new tenant, I give them free to my class because I'm going to communicate with them. <laughs> and so I had two of them from one of the locations that came in this morning. And I was just doing the, the uh, leadership through language thing I put together. I thought that lady would start crying. I can't tell you how many of them cry, get emotional in my class. Actually, one lady told me one time, well, you saved my life in that class. And so I think what's happening is that I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I get a little tired. I forget things. I have notes on the side now. I used to just start talking. And so I think I'm looking at myself saying, you really got upset when your insurance company, my insurance, my building was $11,000 last year. It's $16,000 this year plus some other things on and so it, I just paid that and then I have another r- real estate piece and it's someone's keep pushing the button on me and I have to pay attention to it like I'm okay and I think the language acts are okay because this morning the two people that were here loved it just, I mean just they were just we were playing and laughing and everything so I think sometimes it, it, I'm like a I'm in a bad mood, but I don't tell anybody. The, the roof's leaking again in my house. I don't tell anybody. It's kind of like I suck it up. And so that's why I want to talk to you guys about that. There's something in the air. I was naming them. You know, I was saying all the furry things. We have World War III now. We have gas and off the roof. And we got insurance premiums that are taking all my money that I can get. Because the people in the building are there, but they're not making the money they used to make. So... I'm trying to hold it together for them because they can't go any, they can't, there's not a place to lease in Lake Charles, you know what I mean? They just, they can't go anywhere. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold the rent down for them. So they hang in with me. So I think that was more for me about not really recognizing and, and praying about all that, which I quite do all the time, but to get back to normal, so now that That's what I was going to say today.
0: Okay. Yeah. My, myself personally, I think the, the, the distinction is as solid as they ever, as solid as they ever were, I think what Fernando Flores did when he invented the whole discipline and he fleshed it all out and all the distinctions and all the papers that were written and everything else, he really got at what was the foundation of what it is to be a human. And we haven't evolved, you know, in the last 30 years. We just haven't. In fact, if you look at some parts of society, you say we've regressed. And there's so much propaganda out there from all sides these days. You can't, I, I don't know if any of y'all still watch the news. I don't, I watch the news for anything. It's just, it's everything's an opinion. Everything's got a slant yep. to it. Everything's <laughs> got a, I don't watch this stuff. And then you see people who watch the news and you see that being, oh man, Ukraine. And oh, the Russians are killing people and trying to get us into World War III. Uh, I don't want to get into the, the whole political thing because I, I don't, know, I don't, I don't want to get into to any kind of... There's a lot of stuff going on right now that I think is intentional. I think the world we live in, as you said, Mikey, normal, you want to get back to normal's gone. Yep.
2: I think My, my yep. opinion, normal's gone.
0: I think you're going to see some major upsets in the financial system, in the banking system. I think you see major upsets politically. The Hunter Biden laptop, all the crap that's starting to come out about that's going to be... I think you're going to see a dam burst on that. And that's going to be the, the end of a lot of political careers. But as society, we've become so divided, so polar over this stuff. And it depends on what you're listening to. And I think these distinctions are going to be more important than ever, because people are going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be locked into a lot of things. And some people you'll never reach them. You'll never reach them. They're, they're not willing to listen. And the reason why people aren't like jumping all over this, Mark, you said, why don't y'all have a, why haven't you heard of this? It's because it's too hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of killing of your own ego. People just aren't willing to give up that, the worldview, the way they see themselves, the way they see the world. You got to really be willing to let some of that die. A lot of that die for you to embrace this work and use the distinctions and be willing to always reassess, reassess, reassess. People want certainty. They want guaranteed. And I think in the end, it's going to be better, but I think there's some rough spots that we're going to go through and some people aren't going to handle it very well at all. So I think being grounded in these distinctions that allow us to see, make assessments, ground them, look from different perspectives, look at the observer we are, look at the observer the other person is, being able to do all of that. And again, it's not always easy, especially when you're invested in in a particular answer, but the ability to do that is going to, I think it's going to be, we'll be able to help people make sense of the world because the world ain't making sense in a lot of ways right now. You're talking about gasoline and World War III and all that stuff, Mikey. Now Biden's up there talking about there's going to be food shortages, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: people are going to starve. And also. Now, is that going to actually happen? I don't know. What's the point of that? And again, there are some breaks in the supply chain to where so it's, it's going to be dicey. I think we'll see, we'll see. But I think being grounded in these distinctions is going to be really important, really valuable and being able to help people make sense of the world. Because like I said, the world is not, the world is making less and less sense, in my opinion.
1: Gary, there's a couple things you said. I I agree entirely. I I think that recently, especially uh, in certain groups, if they allow the conversation to go this way, the ability to ground assessments, the ability to acknowledge consciously what the standards are, right? To have conscious acknowledgement, this is the standard I'm using for this assessment. This is how I came to this conclusion. And the ability and willingness to look for Contrary assertions, right? You know, that practice, the whole practice of grounding assessments is a practice in intellectual rigor. Yeah. Right? It's a practice, right? Being willing to to acknowledge, you know, Terry, how did you and I come to such very different opinions about X, Y, or Z? Let's talk about it. Right? One reason might be we have very different standards. Another one might be that evidence you accept, I don't accept. You know, what? what you consider to be, quote, evidence or, or true assertions, I don't consider that, you know, that to be a true mm-hmm. assertion. So bringing some rigor to it, I've, I've had some mileage working with groups, and we don't get into openly political conversations, but we talk about, about how a lot of people right now are not operating with very much intellectual rigor right, in certain areas, right? they're not discerning in terms of their views, as you say, is a giant polarization, The maybe the most hopeful new technology, new distinction, new framework I was introduced to, and I believe it is what we need in this, is polarity thinking. And Mark it's and working. I, it, it's leveraging polarities. As I have a module that, I, I didn't invent this, it's, it's been around since the 50s. We used to call them uh, wicked problems or dilemmas, they are adaptive challenges. And so the claim is that so many of the most real, important, pressing, legitimate leadership, and even societal challenges are not problems to be solved. They are polarities to be leveraged. As an example, in our country, right? So it, it enlarges the frame to both and thinking. So in our country, just as a thought experiment, do we need security or freedom? We need both, right? And y'all, here's the deal. If you imagine each of these being security and freedom, they each have an upside and a downside. What is the upside of security done? You get to have good borders, you get to have a safe country. What's the upside of a freedom done well? You get to have personal liberties, right? All this. But y'all, the downside. What's the downside of an over focus on security
0: to the neglect police, of police state?
1: And what's the downside of an overfocus on freedom to the neglect of anarchy? Right? So, all of that, right? And everything, y'all can be looked at, not everything, but huge chunks, continuity and transformation, left and right. What's the upside of left done well over time? What's the upside of right done over time? What's the downside of an overfocus on the left to neglect of the right, and vice versa? And y'all, there are some people, Steve McIntosh is one of my favorites. If you haven't checked him out, I invite you to look at Steve MacIntosh.
0: Steve McIntosh? Steve I've McIntosh. heard I've heard of him mentioned uh, in a few podcasts lately.
1: Steve McIntosh is doing some work on bringing the polarity lens to societal challenges. And he does a good job of, he also talks about kind of the evolution of, of consciousness, kind of building on some uh, Ken Wilber stuff that everything evolves and ways of thinking evolve and we evolve and all that. But, we, but, the, but the, in a broad way, then I'll shut up about it. In a broad way, the polarity map and the polarity way of thinking has helped me enlarge the playing field to a both and, because so many of these, y'all, you know, when we talk about our country, the, the left is never going to win. The right's never gonna win. There's always gonna be a left. challenges challenge is to leverage the upside of both while minimizing the downside limitations. Security is never going to beat freedom. Freedom's never going to beat security. We got to have both, right? In organizations, continuity and transformation, we got to have both. And so it's one of the best lenses to look through. I was ever introduced to and I, I try to use it in my life as a parent, hold on or let go with grown kids. Oh, it's both, <laughs> right? right? We got to hold on and we got to and spontaneity and structure. I don't know. I found the polarity, the both and thinking and the lens of a polarity map to be a very hopeful sign in a broad scale, but also I'm getting a lot of leverage, a lot of traction with it, introducing it as part of it, as one part of my larger program.
2: Chalmers, I want to follow that up. I love it. And it's like its simplest form, both and thinking versus either or and it seems like we're so deeply entrenched in either or that's what we label divisiveness it seems like we're moving further and further into that at least I think at least that's what's broadcast out there in the media if you watch that like you Carrie, I haven't watched the news in years but so I fully agree so it raises a couple questions for me it makes me curious one is a comment Carrie, that you made about I think we we're in a very chaotic tumultuous time no doubt but I do have hope I believe we will get through it and the basis for my thinking on that is, Mike, I think you were with me at, at the Newfield Alumni Conference in Estes Park in 2006 <laughs> when Richard Tarnas spoke. Weren't you
3: there with me? Yeah, um, I was there with you, but I don't remember too much. <laughs> well, so he
2: wrote a book called Cosmos and Psyche. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's an astrologer, a hard a scientist that begrudgingly moved over to astrology when he actually looked at it with some intellectual rigor and he wrote a book called and psyche where he went back into the 1300s and he traced periods of time where there was this upheaval and then individuals lives when they did amazing things what was going on astrologically he makes a strong case for it
1: mark i read i read most of it just to interrupt a little bit julio recommended that i read that years ago and i did not get through all of it but the part i got through was very freaking intriguing
2: it's what carrie said it's like you kind of ask the question is the na is the universe inherently friendly an enemy or neutral i tend to take a friendly view we'll get through it i bring that up because carrie i resonate with you on that I, I think there's a reason we're going through all this shit. and he just recently released a series called changing of the gods 10-part series that i watched and it was a lot of stuff i'd already seen before with some new speakers but basically astrologically explaining the period of time that we're in. If we're in essentially the same thing as the 60s, 1960 to 72, with all that upheaval and stuff, it just, it's, he says it this way, it's archetypally predictive, not concretely. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know archetypally the stuff, the forces that are at work, things are going to unfold. So it it actually just helps me settle down about what's going on in the world today. Yeah, we're here because of forces at work larger than us, and I am hopeful that we will get through it. So I, I just wanted to say that. And then my curiosity as listening to all of you guys is just how, why, why didn't, and maybe Carrie, you answered it because it's hard. Why didn't what we're talking about be the cultural norm and soup we're swimming in? That 80% of us are doing this grounding assessments and stuff. And, and why did the cultural soup in this, I'm going to reveal the observer that I am. It, it, it's a mess out there. When I talk to people, it's they're a mess. The observer they are is a mess, and and I think a lot of the beliefs and cliches and shit that, like I notice, everybody buys into doesn't work. It's inadequate. It's it, it's inadequate for our times, and it. I sometimes go, how did we get here? How did we get here in 2022 with such a mess of language and emotions and bodies? I just wonder sometimes, and maybe I'm just saying, man, we're pushing the boulder uphill doing what we do, really trying to introduce (laughs) these distinctions into that cultural mess. But for whatever reason, the four of us cats and some others seem to be committed to doing that.
0: Yeah, as Chalmers observed, it takes intellectual rigor and most people I don't want anything to do with that. Most people want to be led. Most people are like, here's the answer. This is what you do. Okay. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to strain my brain. I have to make up my own mind. I don't have to make any choices. Oh so yeah, this is the norm. I'm going to follow that. The hurting impulse is hardwired into our brainstem. That's why when you see a fire that kills people, most of the deaths are at the door. There's too many people trying to get out of the door one time and they jam it all up and they die of smoke inhalation first. Uh, you see it in financial markets. The hurting impulse. People buy at the top, sell at the bottom. Um,
2: anything human, yeah. you can see it. Yeah, you know? I do see it. I, I call um, it the, the "people are like sheep or cows" thing. I've never heard it called herding, but yet. Yeah.
0: There's,
1: that brings up a paradox that I've observed, and it's not all the time, but there's trends here that I see that a great number of the what I consider to be the dumbest people I know right? are rock solid <laughs> certain about life's biggest mysteries. And some of the wisest people I know, smartest people I know, have areas of doubt, areas of mystery in their lives. And so there's this, maybe it's a search for security and not truth. That people want a sense of security, whatever reason, I think. Yes. That, that yes.
0: They, they don't want to be, they don't want their worldview challenged. They don't want to have to think. I remember, what was it? I think it was, a, I can't remember which course it was now, but it's either Rafael or Julio said. That reflection is the original sin. He said reflect, and what he meant by reflection is taking some of your, especially like closely held absolute truth beliefs that define who you are and being able to let them go and examine them and ask, is it so, is this just some shit I made up or somebody told me, or is this the stuff that I hold is the truth. Am I willing to examine that? And for most people, whoa, I might find some shit. I've been full of shit all my life. I, I ain't willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, how did you, how did uh, you phrase that? Reflection is what? Reflection is the original sin. That's what I thought you said. Yeah. That's okay. what he said. He said the, the fact, and I forget the exact way he said it, but basically it was the fact that Eve was willing to taste the, of the forbidden fruit of the tree of, not the tree of knowledge, was it tree of life? The two trees that she was willing to eat of that fruit, that she was willing to hey, maybe God doesn't have it all. Maybe so now I get to see what the gods see because that was a big promise. Yeah, you can be as gods, eat the fruit, and that's that's that was his analogy of reflection. That most yeah. people aren't willing to do that. It's too huh. scary. It's too unsettling. Huh. this
1: is the big eye. What's that's, that? That's the big. Eye. That is taking a look at how we look at things. Right. The, the foundational starting point for. And working i've worked with all y'all the foundational starting point for virtually every program that we've ever done we focus
2: on self-awareness and being willing to to take a look at what we're up to in life. and i still say this to this day with a little bit of doubt thomas so you can probably correct me maybe up on it but that as far as i know the research still shows that self-awareness is the number one determinant of leadership success
1: yeah i think it's ridiculously and this there's a shift y'all that we've all done this in our programs, right? When we work with people, but I've gotten a slightly more overt about it. And it's this notion, when we talk about events and explanations, event is not equal explanation. The event belongs to itself. My explanation belongs to me. Mike's belongs to Mike, Carrie's to Carrie, Mark's to Mark. But can we have a conversation, right? How did you go from event A to explanation B in such a different way than I went from same event A to explanation C? And this leads us naturally to what did you infer or deduce or believe or assume that I did not infer, right. deduce, believe, or assume. Right? And all that's fine. But the, I, before y'all, I went to EFL. I'm not making this shit up. I was, in my, I was 25 years old. I was convinced beyond a shadow of doubt. That if you didn't see things like now this is just straight and nobody told can I get an amen. Bro. I'm
2: not giving an amen. I never thought that. I, I had a shit just going on. But.
1: Completely fucking convinced that the way I saw things was the way they were. Take yeah. a look, you got yeah. eyes, I got eyes, there it is right there. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? So
3: <laughs> and so I, this, can re- I can remember that and I stay at the stage uh, one with the oh, back man. <laughs>
2: All right, I got to insert. I I was incorrect what I said. I actually have a version of that. It's just more subtle. It's not as (laughs) good as as yours. I had a more behind the scenes. What the fuck is wrong with you? But out loud, I wasn't (laughs) going to say that. Out loud, I was going to say, well, I'm sure yours is as valid as mine. Inside, I'm thinking, you're a dumbass. God, I was overtly explicit, right? I was sometimes
1: wrong, but never in doubt, right? And y'all, EFL was a game changer for that. It was a game changer. And- And it highlighted something that I'm now focusing on more with my clients. And it's it's this notion, the reason when we talk about explanations and the observer action results model, right? When we talk about explanations, are they effective or ineffective, given the results you say you want? Are they powerful or unpowerful, given the results you say you want? The reason that reframing, Powerful, unpowerful, effective and ineffective feels so strange at first. Is because I believe the right wrong grid is so yeah. deeply baked in. Bingo. The right wrong, the right yeah. wrong come from yes. is deeply yeah. embedded in our upbringing, and it's never questioned. And by the time I got to EFL, it was almost too fucking late for me because I was so <laughs> locked into the right wrong grid. Yeah. But but now. When I do event is not equal explanation in my programs, I have a little box, a little arrow pointing and I have them given the results I say I want and connect it to explanation visually on their sheet. They have to write given the results I say I want, does my explanation serve me or not serve me given the results I say I want. And that reframing I share with them, I said, look. In some situations, the right-wrong grid may fit, and it may help. I wanna offer that in many situations, it does not fit, and it does not help. And if your self-awareness is turned on enough that you can start to catch yourself wanting to be right about your explanation, and you can begin every now and then, throw on the, does, does this explanation serve me or not serve? Is it effective or ineffective? Given the results I say I want, I, I share with them. I said, guys that is not an incremental step up. It's an ocean. That is an ocean of reframing that you have just done to move away from this right wrong grid, a right wrong scaffolding that is so subconsciously, deeply, yeah. deeply present for us into something else. that is not a trivial thing. That is no. a big eye, self-awareness, exercise, that is just, for me, it was mind blowing at EFL to even think that way. Cause I was so committed to the right, wrong grid. The possibility of something else was unfathomable.
0: Right. And uh, that's I, why we don't, that's why society hadn't drifted there, Mark. That's why yeah, the yeah. norm in <laughs> su- society is there because it, it's yeah. too big a leap
2: for most people. And you remind me, Chalmers, that if I had to say in my practice right now, coaching clients one-on-one, the, the two main things that I'm really pushing on harping on one is the right-wrong template. I, I, I think it's so embedded, and I'm, I'm really explicitly working with clients to change that framework or template. I remember when Mikey in stage one drew the glasses, right? The right-wrong glasses or the works. Glasses and the works doesn't work glasses. Yeah. I, I use similarly. I use works doesn't work, but you can use any of those terms. So that one's, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. That is so deeply entrenched it, behind everything we're talking about. The second one for me i'll just put out there is just the power of, as i get older the power of movement the power of emotions and moods but particularly moods more and more i'm thinking golly man these things are like the glasses we look through the world at or the windshield we look through the world at and they're i just am impressed more and more with the distinction of moods and understanding how freaking powerful they can be yeah
1: when you say that yes. figure the thought uh, I'm sorry,
0: Kerry. No, go ahead, Mike.
3: No, I'm just, obviously, I, I'm agreeing I've told myself outwardly, like, you need to see yourself more. And uh, so I took the religious path. I'm going to church more and being quiet and just being in that area like that. It, it's working for me. There's this one way, I don't know. But when you get down on your kneels and be quiet and you're in the cathedral downtown Lake Charles, it's only 10 minutes away from me. So I go there during, during the... They have, they have noon mass every day. And so I've, I just fold everything down, get, get out at 1145, drive there and come right back. And uh, I'm purposely doing that. And that's what brought me there. Like it brought me back to church more than I, ha- I have been doing, I go to church. But it's another avenue or whatever, I don't know. But it, thank the Lord I've, I got to start doing this. Put me in a position to go to church more, like one hour on Sunday afternoon and you're waiting to football game to start. Now, you know what I was doing? <laughs> so I've pulled that stuff in too with me, not leaving it. I'm not saying good or bad myself either. All I know is when I open those doors and go kneel down, it's there's a different space for me. It really is. So. I-
2: Mike, are you saying, let me, I want to make sure I'm interpreting you, not right or wrong, but just interpreting you maybe accurately. Are you saying that's your set of practices or practice for examining yourself, flexing the big eye, looking harder? Is, is that what you're saying?
3: No, it was not. That's part of it. Okay. Yeah. That's part of it. Like in like, what, why am I yelling at my son or something like that? I know that, but it's, if it's a chance for me to sit there and, and gratitude, thank you. That my building is finished. Thank you that I can go to church and, and I can contribute to the community of Lake Charles. What I can at times, you know, and so it's that's more for me, it's just kneeling down saying, "Thank you for I have a job. Thank you, I have a, a wife that loves me, my kids, my grandkids. Oh my gosh, love that love those grandkids or just something else." And and so it, it's more like in hopefully like. Thanksgiving, because I know when I do that, my voice is not as loud. I don't want to be right all the time when I'm in that mood. So I don't know if gratitude is still a mood or not. I'm not too sure. But when you learn to bring it in, and that's what I'm doing right now, every week, is learning to bring it in, I can go cuss at contractors. Jeff and I were suing one of them next week. It's just, I'm not that kind of guy. Just pay me the money you owe me, and life is good. But you want to go and fight? Let's go fight. Okay. And it, I don't know, but like for the whole thing of like, my gosh, I can come in here and feel acceptance and pray for other people. Not for me, pray for my grandkids, my sons and so forth.
0: Yeah. The, the, as you talk about the mood, I remember, I can't, I don't remember who the hell, I think it might've been Chuck talking about moods. And it, the big distinction I got out of moods was that depending on the mood you're in, determines the range of action that's open to you. If you're in a really horrible mood, you, you don't have much of a range of action available in that mood. You change your mood and all of a sudden things open wide up. So in working with clients, corporate clients, is one I remember classic. Going there felt like you were walking into a prison because the people there didn't look up, they didn't talk to each other much. They weren't very open. They were terrified of the owner <laughs> and so. I remember I told him that I said, coming in here, it feels like I'm going, to, going to a prison. And he's like, what are you talking about?
3: <laughs> it's just, this is just the way I am. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't, he didn't think it had anything to
0: do with him. I said, yes, I said, your people are intimidated that I said, nobody's willing to, I said, have you had meetings where you say, Hey, what do y'all think? No, I pretty well know what to, what needs to be done. I just tell them, yeah. I said, yeah. And I said, and nobody's going to stand up and say you're wrong, or I see a problem with that, <laughs> or can't we try this? I said, they're not, they're, they're intimidated. They probably all had uh, a lesson in speaking up, trying to, trying to be, what? Out of the, out, thinking outside of the box, trying to be uh, proactive and take action on their own. they have had their ass kicked in for it. He goes, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I reward myself. <laughs> sure enough, in talking with the employees, it was, that was definitely, you tried to think on your own, you had to come up with something original or whatever, you would get smacked down pretty hard. Mm. And, and publicly and the owner, he, I don't know, maybe he's too much of a narcissist or whatever. He got a little bit, but he really wasn't willing to change. So we didn't really work together very long, <laughs> but, but again, what he didn't see is the, the, the mood that he had his organization in, they weren't going to do anything more than they really had to. Nobody was going to step up and make the extra effort and maybe offer some creative ideas he never would have thought of in his life. And he was going to be, he was going to be limited. He limited himself and his organization to just his own perspective, which wasn't that great. Now he was successful, but he could have been so much more. And, and he hated people that contradict him. There's this one lady who handled his insurance policies and such business insurance. And she was fairly risk averse. She was very conservative and she always tried to tell him, trying to get a safety program going and that's just waste of money. It's worse than accounting. You know, at least accounting tells him some things. Safety, that, that just gets in the way of business. And I tried to tell him, I said, you need to respect and be grateful for her opinion, her perspective, because it's different than yours. As an entrepreneur, you don't see risk much, the opportunities. She sees the risks that you're blind to. Your perspective, if you see the world this way, you can be blind to everything else. So she's seeing things you don't see. And yes, you've gotten bitten on the ass because you weren't paying attention. And there's some risks you took that you shouldn't have taken. That wound up with some big insurance claims. Anyway, I just, I kind of got off track there, but I really want to talk about the whole thing about moods dictating the range of action that are available yeah. to you.
1: Well, yeah. you know, Jerry, the, the term that I got taught by somebody was horizon of possibilities. Say again was horizon of possibilities. The mood has to do with, as you say, what you even see as possible. Right. Is it a giant horizon or is it narrow and kind of shrunk down? And Mike, as you were talking about your church experience, my mind was thinking that is clearly you're taking advantage of both the body by kneeling and the language by either being quiet or being grateful as a mood management practice par excellence, like that is a clear practice me of being purposeful and intentional about getting your mood to where you want it to be in that moment anyway you can move forward y'all that there, i'm doing some work with these guys in singapore right marcus marsden and these guys and these evening programs right they're always like 9 p.m for me but it's 8 a.m the next day in singapore and i'm doing my part on language and stuff but there's the weakest domain for me has always been the body in terms of my distinctions, my ability to embody the four body dispositions or teach them or all of this, I have a newfound respect for the body. And it really comes from being part of this virtual program, right? Mostly full of Asian folks, mostly full of people from Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, a little bit of China, a little bit of Japan, right? And there is... A, there's a release there's something that happens if you're only dealing with the linguistic part and only dealing with the emotional part you miss a giant thing and even in a virtual program the guy that was doing the body part he was doing stuff on the expand and contract right Because this notion everything expands and contracts your heart expands and contracts your lungs expand and contract molecules expand expands and contracts and when we're resentful, we contract, we protect. And when we're grateful, we expand. But it's not so much as one is good and one is bad. They're both part of the human being. And as we're expanding and contracting, we have at least these four body dispositions, right? Where you stand resolution, flexibility, openness, uh, stability, having to do, and this is Stuart Heller's work, right? The stuff about mm-hmm. up front, down back, all these, and they make them dance right? There's a lady named, sorry, Marcus's wife is a superb dancer. And this lady Beatrice Garcia from Mexico is an incredible dancer. Y'all on these programs, there is a, at least to me, it showed up enough that there's a stereotype that a lot of these folks on these programs are young, meaning they're in their usually late 20s to a lot in the 30s and 40s and there's some 60s and 70s. But but more 30s, 40s, 50s. There is a performance, a cultural performance standard in these countries that is, now maybe it's a self-selected group because the people that would participate in this program are that way, but there is a strong desire to perform. And many of these people at their house, they grew up in households where their mother and father were very demanding. Academically, I mean, to the point of, and it shows up because you hear it, you hear it, you hear it. So many of these people, when they report what's going on, this is in the background. All this to say that the ladies and this guy, Chris Balsley, that, that does the the body work and the dancing work, without the body, giant, and this is virtual, right? So they're in mm-hmm. front of there. they got Beatrice there and they turn the thing up and they get up and they dance in front of the monitors, so it's a, it's a 100% virtual program. And I had just been, I've known this all the time anyway, but just reintroduced to the power of the body and particularly dancing, particularly dancing for loosening people up and getting people in a mood, right? Where they can see possibilities because it's hard to hold resentment when you're flailing all over. When you're dancing, it's hard to hold certain mood spaces, but I've just been reintroduced to how powerful, you know, that the way you stand is the way you stand in the world. Uh, this whole notion of, of how we carry ourselves physically, mm-hmm. but introducing people to these body distinctions, I don't know. I just got uh, got reintroduced to how powerful.
3: So what comes first? Let me put this in. What comes first, your, your thoughts or your mood?
1: Mood. I, I think. I think the mood
2: uh, is.
3: I think the opposite.
2: Well, I don't think any of them do. Actually, I think. I think
3: they, there's
1: uh,
2: a causality. that can't.
3: They just don't like. If you come here and having thoughts and it says, "Oh, I'm gonna lose my life. I'm gonna lose my life." Okay. I'm depressed. Let's go outside and get shot. I,
2: I think, Mikey, I, th- I think it Where's can that? be any, I think, I think any of the three circles can lead. I really do.
3: Okay. Uh-oh. Lead. Okay. All
2: right. Yeah, I really do in the moment, in that moment or that day, or whether it could be body driving, it could be motion or mood driving. It could be my thinking driving. This is my take. Th- I thinkings
3: use. or thoughts.
2: That's what I mean, like thoughts. I think it maps perfectly to the brain, right? Languages is our thinking, emotions and moods is our limbic system. And body is the brain stem or reptilian brain or the autonomic nervous system.
3: I don't know the, uh, I don't know the right answer, but because that's the one I'm challenged all the time to think about, okay, what is it that I do? If I upset somebody or myself, I said, why did I think about this bad mood? Like I, I try to, so I can look at it, to get the big eye on me and say, next time I have that thought. I'm not going to believe, believe it. <laughs> so, Here, here's
2: here's where I land with, because I've wrestled with that one. I land with which one comes first for me, typically. Because I do think we all have different ways of being. So I think some people are driven by Beatrice and I know Chris Baldwin, John, they're probably bodily driven driving that other stuff and some people are more emotional, but we talk about how coherent and congruent all three are. I truly have been saying this a lot in the last year. That diagram with the three circles Chalmers yep. that, that I took, your the materials you did when we were together, it, it shows just a little bit of overlap. Yeah, I want to actually almost put them right on top of each other. <clears throat> like, I think they're that, and with just a little edge peeking out of each one, I think they're that interconnected. Mark, I've started to eliminate the lines in the middle. There you
1: go. I just take the lines out because they're just so, it's it's impossible to think about one, to have one without the other. You
2: you also remind me, Chalmers. too, you made me think about EFL, right? Stage one, two, and RP. I actually think now they engage the body a lot. I came out of EFL probably privileging language a whole lot more myself. But right, well, stage one, all those, all those processes we do with hug line and trust, don't trust and moms and dads, we're moving the body, getting them up front coaching. That's probably no, as, that's... as perturbed as the body's <laughs> getting ever. But then RP, I think carrying and you know, formal and alternate image. And I mean, it's a lot of body. We do a lot of the, in stage two, the, the lift, you know, where we lift people. Yeah. I think I lost sight of how much body stuff is actually built into that when you were talking about that. I agree.
1: I forgot about that too. I, forgot. I do know in Newfield, there's a ton of dancing.
2: Absolutely. I couldn't stand that. It used to drive me crazy. Ton uh, of and I love dancing. but it used to piss me off when they're like, okay, now we're going to do some dancing. And I'm like, ah, here comes the damn no. salsa again. You know, I can't fucking salsa. I don't want to do this. And then, then I get going and I'd enjoy it. You know.
3: Oh Lord, yeah. I don't remember the guys laughing at all of stuff. us right now. Jesus, they get, host, they, they,
2: they get up. and all I see is she's We're gonna dance, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, I'm taking a break. And then my big eye would be like, No, dude, this is your this is what's in your way, stay here, right? Get in here, even as uncomfortable as it is. <laughs> oh oh Lord. Lord,
0: when do they have all this dancing? Y'all yeah, went through a an MAP course or something that had a lot of dancing?
1: With Newfield, you mean? Yeah. Oh, my God, Kerry it was every time. Yeah, he was baked into was every a, hour. This was like, yeah, <laughs> this was like a a, you know, year-long program with five in-person conferences.
0: And what was the name of the
1: course? It was called Mastering the Art of Professional Coaching.
0: Yeah, I, I went through that with Mike. But I don't, do you remember dancing, Mikey? Um, they had, they had, uh, they had what, uh, Stuart Heller, sure. I used to call him Mister Miyagi. I had oh, that, that okay? summer. Is I hated that son of a bitch at program? first. What's that? Did y'all do a, a one-year program or a long? Yeah. Year?
3: One to nine months, yeah. yeah it, was, it was a year
0: long. We went to San Francisco for
3: Eight everything. nine months, yeah.
0: Except yeah. they had one meeting because there's such a strong contingent from here. They had one of the weekends here in we Baton ended. Rouge. Nice.
3: Yeah. Could so we close? We went to San Francisco, Chicago for the midpoint, and then we were going to go so to New York. But they sent us down to... Um, baton rouge yeah we closed wow. it in baton rouge i remember was, a lady first class
1: <clears throat> mine was probably after y'all mine was in 95 my mm-hmm. Newfield was in 95 but I, we had dancing i think every time yeah
2: really yeah, i i did 2001 we had a guy mauricio gonzalez latin american dude he was so stewart was obviously else body guy he, Stuart's not a he's a great dancer but he didn't bring it in obviously But I, so I did 2001, Mauricio liked to dance. Those, those damn Latin dudes. They're they're Mm -hmm. wooing all the women that are in the class. And, and then I I was a mentor coach for Newfield and went to a lot of conferences and then Josefina, like you Sean, was like, man, it was like, they were dancing every hour and a half. We're going to dance. We're going to do some body. And they fundamentally believe that, that you got to engage the body.
1: It was so y'all, it was so noticeable in this virtual program with these guys Hmm. from Asia. Hmm. Like, that were so locked into their high stress high performance one way of doing it it really is an active part of loosening people away from this rigid you know patterns of thinking and rigid emotional patterns that just to, to engage the body in a way that I've forgotten how powerful it is. And I, I don't do any physical stuff really in my programs. I think I know enough to be dangerous. So I'm not trying to teach those body distinctions.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You you don't want to see me dancing. (laughs) (laughs) So what, tell me more about this course that's going on in Singapore, man. You're like one of the facilitators of it? It's a serious,
1: yeah, I am now. i mean, in, in my, in my NAPC with Newfield. A lady named Terry Lutberger was in my class. And also Alan Seeler was there, who wrote this Coaching to the Human Soul. And also Charles Feltman, who wrote The Thin Book of Trust. Right? So we were all in the same MAPC together. I get a call about five years ago from Terry. And for a short while, she was CEO of Newfield. Right? It was in, in Maryland.
3: Oh, no. But
1: she stayed in touch with them. She stayed in touch. And Marcus Marsden is a guy from UK. And his wife, Sari, from Singapore. They've been in Asia, so it was Newfield Asia for a while. Marcus and a partner under a pretty normal arrangement with Julio and those guys, right? Were, but it was a, a Newfield, it was an official Newfield affiliate, right, in Singapore. And, like, I've sold books to them for years. They order copies of the book, and I'd always be sending books out there. Terry asked me if I'd be part of the faculty, so to speak, on these virtual programs. They run, and one of them is like a Newfield Nine-month uh, coaching program. I think they call it Foundations, but it is a it's, a it's a virtual MAPC. And so they have a guy like me. I'm doing some of the introduction to ontology and language. Uh, Chris is doing the body. Carol Cursey is doing moods and emotions. They've got uh, Marcus also doing a bunch of stuff on the ling- linguistic side. Sari is doing body work. Significant Chris, Chris Beatrice is doing body work. So it's a comprehensive. They got a binder. They have study groups. Right. They meet offline. I think that there are three or four, maybe four virtual conferences per year per program, each one, two or three, or four days, pretty much all day, eight to five, right. Singapore time that they're doing it, maybe three conferences. And so I've been involved with them the past couple of years, not all the time, but my chunk, whenever the, I have a chunk on introduction to ontological stuff. I have a chunk on assertions and assessments. I have a chunk on requests, offers, promises, right? So I'm the language guy, right? I'm doing the linguistic uh, distinctions, the language acts. And from that, they're doing a team coaching program, which is also under the same umbrella. And they're, I'm doing some stuff on polarities with those guys. So they're Leveraging the power of polarity, introducing both band thinking and polarity maps with them. They had a break with Julio. Marcus said something to the effect, they were tired of everything being the Julio show. So they had a, uh, they had a, so they're no longer officially part of their, their own thing. They have two companies one is called the Works Partnership, and one is called the Coach Partnership. Although I, I noticed in the template that I use and that all the presenters use for it, they, it's still called Newfield Asia. So they acknowledge the Newfield orientation and the Newfield come from. But they don't have a, a, a relationship i don't think anymore or at least not like they used to but it's a virtual program right that i'm i'm part of the faculty along with several people that, that y'all may know are doing virtual distinctions in this area mm-hmm. and i don't usually get to watch chris and the body people live because i go to bed i'm from like nine to one i'm tired i'm going to bed but i got recordings of it where i could see some of them and it was very powerful and I haven't seen any of this. They don't record this, but Beatrice does something called primal dance. And whatever it is, it's powerful.
0: People the primal dance?
1: Primal dance. People talk about it the next day. As so I don't know sex, it is it like a That's sex, isn't it? Isn't that sex? It is. <laughs> it's sex. But anyhow, that's a very powerful, it's optional. They don't make people do it. It's optional. I've learned that. But the primal people dance. That, the people that do it are talking
0: about it, it was something they never did in their lives. Interesting. Um, and so this, this isn't a training with one company. This is students so it's from one all company. over
1: these people, huh? they have a staff in Singapore Marcus. No, the Marcus,
0: the students in the course, aren't all from one no. company. They're all no. like an MAPC course for people. Have exactly.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. Okay. Interesting.
1: You get people like it's exactly like it, it, is. it is that. It is and
0: So the students in the course have to get up and do coaching. And practice I coaching?
1: I think openly they do, yes. Now, not in the park, when I see them in conference one, which is their first opening conference, so they're just getting started, and I see them in conference three, and they have been doing coaching in the meantime. I'm not privy to any of that.
0: Can you see a big difference in them from conference one to conference three? Yeah,
1: yes, yes. They're much more open.
0: That's what I'm saying. You get to interact with them, you're just not presenting.
1: I'm presenting, but I'm interacting and I mean, right. see it. it's, a, it's a conversation. You know. The group size is typically big, it's between 30 and 60.
0: Ah, you
1: no, know, in terms okay. of the number of participants they have. So it's not like
0: they 500. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's not it to be fun, but it gives me a sense of community, right? I get to be you know, involved with people doing the same sort of work that we're doing and doing my part of it. They're using my book as one of the textbooks, uh, for the language, stuff um as well as I think, just other features maybe I
0: know, maybe there but you, you but you're fun. fading out a little bit audio your audio is fading say it again
1: yeah. yeah i was just going to say like i'm enjoying
0: it. i'm, I'm enjoying
1: uh, being part of the fifth event That's it. uh
0: good.
1: Um, a different thing i, I have not done that many virtual programs I like markets you know he's, he's a he's a good guy he's, uh, he's very good i the mic i think he's like you in some ways he's great in front of the room, you know, he's really good with coaching people where they are in a group setting. And to me, Mike and Julio are the best I've, I've ever been around. With that. Marcus, wow. is in that group. Marcus is in that group. Very good. Um, very funny. Hmm. Good vibe. But I haven't been doing it that long I mean, and it's not that often. You know? I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yes. That,
0: that's really interesting. It makes you wonder, about offering virtual courses here in the States.
1: I'm doing one, y'all. I'm doing In fact, I got a call tomorrow, I'm doing a six module. It's a Vistage member company, right? North Carolina. I'm doing a six module, what I call my SOAR program. And this one, y'all, he wants hour and a half chunks. Yep. So I'm doing a program in six 90 minute chunks, Yeah. each about three or four weeks apart. Yeah. And I haven't put together my. Materials yet, but obviously, Mark and I talk about this. Obviously, I'm gonna try to do way too much. Graham, <laughs> <laughs> yep. too much stuff. Yep. Right there. Let me give you another one. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is my lifelong, my lifelong challenge: just not try to do too much. Uh, but in this case, obviously, I can't with a 90-minute
2: frame, Right. You
1: no, know, but I, I think- it's gonna be all virtual.
2: I started doing some virtual stuff last year and have been refining it too. Same as you, was like I've landed on, I did some four hours with a break in between for lunch and we've cut it to like, actually I, the last few I did were, they were 9.30 to 12. They were two and a half hours, but we took a 10 minute break in between. So about an hour, like in the classroom, it's just a diff, it's a different experience. It works to some extent, but.
1: No, I have to say, it work. I have another client up to a 12 month program where the monthly, the first one is half a day in person, number six is half a day in person, and number 12 is half a day in person. And all the others are one hour, 60, yeah. 60 minute virtuals, 60 minute virtuals. And it's doable. It's doable. Now, it takes a little bit of thinking that how to do the module. I have them in accountability groups, you have to do homework go offline and all that stuff out but it's it's in fact i have another client a california client that haven't started yet but i know she wants to talk to me about a program i'm going to offer virtual only i'm not going to I'm not going to monterey california six times you know, it's too far and it takes too long
2: so, i actually Chalmers i actually hired a virtual assistant for my last series at the beginning of March and it was spectacular. It was, took everything off of me other than teaching the content. It was phenomenal. I think I shared that with you last year. I had the worst training I've ever done in my whole career because of all the technical snafus, it was a mess. And but anyway, just putting that out there, I hired a virtual person to handle everything in the background. And it was like, Ooh, well, what kind of stuff are they handling for you Mark? just the basics Carrie. like bringing people into the room setting up my breakout rooms when i send them off to do stuff in twos threes fours or fives yeah she and we haven't even scratched the surface she can handle raise your hands chat responses on all this is zoom she's like a zoom expert and so i didn't do a lot with her but it was amazing how much i stopped headspace i stopped worrying about any of that shit and could just focus on content not much it was like she gave the first cut we got i got for half price it was 375 chalmers i think for a two-hour class or four hour i can't remember what it, it was cheap you yeah. so,
0: know way cheaper than you having to fool with all that
2: no shit man honestly it was i had a train wreck of a training train wreck <laughs> my dog started barking my powerpoint didn't work i couldn't well, you get it set up you. i called you, you about me. it because it I literally declared shortly after that, I'm never doing another virtual training. It was awful. And then it was, I had participants on the call going, can I help you, Mark? What are you trying to do? <laughs> That's when it's sad when you got participants going, do this, oh, do that. And I'm like, yeah, it, it happened the first five minutes and I never got my ground back the whole time. Right. For like yeah. three and a half hours. I was a mess.
0: But i it, it, not like Pig. What's that? Sound like Porky Pig? Yeah. <laughs> I've done you
2: know, that. I, I I've done hear that. myself talking about distinctions in a way and in an order that I never had in my whole life, and just and then my narrative going, this sucks, this is terrible, save it. And then I think of try this example. It was all Yeah, my my first Zoom meeting ever
0: was a few years <laughs> ago, as well a new client in Lafayette, and it was me, and I think there was like eight of them, and I know I, I usually don't. Give a shit. I'm not, I'm not nervous. I'm not scared to speak in front of people for whatever reason. Maybe it's because they are a new client. I finished the thing and I, I uh, emailed the CEO after it said, said, I apologize for uh, performing so bad. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, I felt like I was channeling Porky Pig the whole freaking time. I, bleep, 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 bleep on my words. And he goes, no, no, you did fine. You did fine. And I was like,
2: okay. It just but, yeah. tells you what they're used to. Yeah.
1: Hey y'all, I'm gonna check out. All yeah, right. look for right. these tonight, Mike, Mark, great seeing you guys.
0: I'll, I'll get an email out. We'll do it again in May. Thanks for May. coordinating, okay. Jerry. Uh, my all pleasure. Right. Thanks, man. Uh, all
1: thanks.
3: right. Love
2: y'all. Love Bye. you. Love you, too. Y'all yeah, be cool. Okay. And yeah, the gang. All
3: yeah. right. Bye. <laughs> Here we go. On the
2: day I was born, the nurses all gathered around. Nikki's the wide one they had found The head nurse spoke up Said leave this one alone She could tell right away That I was bad to the bone